1859 in the National Tribune was a published work called The Vision of Washington. It is a vision that some have questioned its authenticity. Whether it is completely authentic, partly authentic, I do not know. I cannot tell you. All I know is it finds itself in the Library of Congress. It predates the Civil War. And according to this, it was told by a man by the name of Anthony Sherman. He joined the main forces of Washington at Saratoga in 1778 in New Jersey, just before the Battle of Monmouth. In this story, Washington was led out into the woods there in his despair over what was happening and the, and the, the battles that were ensuing. While there, he encountered what he described as an angelic being, a female, but behind her was a voice, a male voice, who began to speak of three perils of America. Those three perils, the first peril began with these words, Son of the Republic, look and see. He saw that angelic being dipping water from the Atlantic and sprinkling Europe and sprinkling America and saw the great battle which would later be understood as the battle he was in, the Revolutionary War. That angelic being came a second time to Washington with a second peril, with the same opening line, Son of the Republic, look and learn. Dipping water out of the ocean in the hollow of his hand, he sprinkled water on both America and Europe and began to see a battle going on between peoples. A bright angel with a crown of light with the word union bearing the American flag and was placed over a divided nation. And Washington saw this great country of America divided, fighting against one another. And then he heard the word, remember you are brothers. Instantly the inhabitants of America cast their weapons to the ground and became friends once again and united around the national standard. Clearly evidence of the Civil War that would be coming not too far into the future. That angelic being appeared a third time with a third peril, and this was a peril of foreign nations attacking the United States. Again the words came, Son of the Republic. The same mysterious voice spoke these words, Look and learn. Washington said, I saw hordes of armed men moving like a cloud, marched by land and sailing by sea into America. I saw these vast armies as they began to devastate the entire country. I heard cannons and the cries of millions in mortal combat. The angel descended from the heavens, attended by legions of white spirits, according to Washington. These immediately joined the inhabitants of America, and the dark cloud that was over America rolled back together with the armies it had brought, leaving the inhabitants of the land victorious. The conclusion of that great vision of Washington was that America would come under attack from foreign nations, but America would prevail. The question that people ask me all the time is, where is America in biblical prophecy? There seem to be only minor allusions to it. One in Ezekiel chapter 38, where it talks about that string of Phoenician islands that could be Great Britain and those young lions that could be the offspring of Great Britain or its colonies. But by and large, America is absent. And so it raises the question, does America exist into the future? 
What is our fate, America? I think the answer is yet to be known. I think much of what happens is a reminder that we as a people, like every other people, get leaders we deserve. And when we fail to live out our life in power and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God, it was Israel, you remember, who rejected the God of Israel and said, we want to be like other nations, we want a king. And God warned through that prophet Samuel, you don't want a king. When you get a king, the king will tax you. The king will take your young off to war. God wanted to be their warrior. God wanted to be their king. God wanted to be their president and their emperor. And they rejected the God of Israel. And the consequences have followed. It's interesting when you read headlines and you begin to probe a little deeper. I try to keep well read with headlines that are going on around the world. Everything from Al Jazeera to those papers in Great Britain like the Times and, and our own network of news. But this one caught my attention from the Energy Tribune. The headlines was this, was Hurricane Sandy a sign of the new normal? And this non-Christian perspective of what's happening in our world was pointing back to something is changing in our world in terms of our environment and the magnitude and the frequency of storms that are coming. Jesus talked about the birth pangs that would come upon a nation. Jesus talked about the warning signs that would come upon a people. Jesus spoke about a great tribulation that would coming was coming, and we'll talk about that more in a moment. The second article that caught my attention was from the Telegraph out of Great Britain. It was this, Tony Blair, the EU needs a president. And if you don't know it, Tony Blair has been politicking to be the president of the European Union for many, many years. What's interesting about that is the Bible speaks of, in the book of Daniel, and further in the book of the Revelation, that there would come a, a united Roman Empire... And out of that would come one who would rule over and would come to dominance in that era of the Antichrist. When I see things on the news like this, when I read things in the paper like this, it always makes me wonder and ask questions. Not fully getting answers, just asking questions, trying to find parallels with what's happening in our world. This other one was report Britain considering sending warplanes to the Persian Gulf. It's very interesting that the base that's in the Middle East for Great Britain and France is actually in Abu Dhabi. And that would be a launching place for them. And this is all, all preparatory. Remember, what we read about is only a fraction of what's really happening. Don't get the idea that we're fully getting a report of what's happening in our world today. Jesus sat down with his disciples. It's recorded in Matthew 24, but we're going to look at the account in Matthew 20 or Luke chapter 21. But as he sat down, they asked questions. What's the end of the age going to be like? What's this world coming to? They were asking the same questions we're asking today. The difference is we have more information than the disciples did who traveled with Jesus for three years because we are living in the fullness of times and the fullness of revelation and living our life out in the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Listen to what Jesus said. Luke chapter 21, verse 25, and there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, 
And on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. And that word perplexity is very interesting. We'll look at it a little further. And the sea and the waves will be roaring. All of a sudden, we see Jesus said, I'm going to give you signs. This was the beginning of the evidence of signs and and the way God would send warnings. We read about it in the book of Genesis and chapter 1 where it says God created the sun and the moon and the stars also. And they are for signs and for seasons, for days and for months. So from the very beginning God said these will be your three warning signs. Watch the sun, watch the stars, and watch the, the moon because they are going to be indicative of something that's coming. In verse 26, it says, men's hearts failing them from fear. I've not known a time in my life on planet Earth where there's been so much fear, even more fear and and perplexity and discouragement than there was during that that whole Soviet buildup and that Cold War era and even my dad going off to war. I've not seen it quite like this before. And I wonder, is this a mark of the time? It says, and it says in in the scripture of the expectations which are coming to the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. The spiritual forces that surround us, demonic spirits that bring discouragement and despair will be shaken. They will be released to some degree to bring more and more of this discouragement on our land. Then they will see, verse 27 jumps forward to the second coming. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with great glory. And now when these things begin to happen, look up, lift your heads because your redemption draws near. Do you know that Christianity is all about redemption? It's about God saving you, God saving me. It's about Jesus Christ who died, was buried, and rose from the dead and redeeming us from our sorrow from our discouragement, from our fears, from all of those things. That's why Jesus Christ came, because he came to a fallen world. I want to talk to you about the signs of the new normal, as our writer said. Robert Puntes, a senior fellow with the Brookings Brookings Institution Metropolitan Policy Program, said this, Since we keep seeing such large-scale storms, it may be wise to think of these as a part of the new normal. Now, had a Christian wrote those words and connected those to the end of the world, they would have been seen as a fanatic. And yet this one from the Brookings Institute is is published in front page of this energy journal. The same things happen with earthquakes. The Bible says that there would be an increasing number of earthquakes coming with greater intensity. And up until two years ago, the geological uh, seismology uh, department of the United States government would not acknowledge that we're having more and they're more intense. People will say, well, we have better ways of measuring. Not anymore. Now we can measure earthquakes that go back thousands of years just by examining the strata. Now they're saying, yes, we're having more earthquakes with greater intensity than ever before. There will be a cataclysmic upheaval in the heavens and on the earth. Everything is held together not by the laws of nature, but by Christ who upholds all things by the word of his power. You see, Jesus 
is the glue of the universe. Jesus is the glue of your life. The only explanation of the cosmos, if you will, the order that's in your life is Jesus. Without Jesus, there's chaos. Without Jesus in our world, there's chaos. And as we push him out of our world, the the chaos will increase all around us. Without Christ, this world spins out of control. Without Christ, this world is a dead planet, like millions of others that make up our universe. Already we're witnessing changes in our world that cause people to ask, are we living in the last days? I don't remember a time when people who are outside of the Christian faith have asked me that question so many times. Just randomly, when they find out I'm a pastor, they'll say, what do you think's happening in our world? Are these the last days? And I'll usually respond with something like this, well, why would you be worried about it? (laughs) If you don't believe in Christ, what difference does it make? After all, we're all just going to evolve into a higher life form anyway, right? No telling what our next look will be. If this took 30 million years, what will the next 30 million bring me? I love that old Star Trek where they they had somehow evolved until all they were was a brain. And it was just a head sitting on a plate. The problem with evolving that far is how do you get around? Well, already we're witnessing these changes and people are asking, if if nothing more, look at what happened on the East Coast with Hurricane Sandy. The New York subway system has suffered the worst disruption in 108 years. Probably just a uh, coincidence. Things really aren't getting worse. The New York City experienced the highest surge of water ever, a record high water level of 13.88 feet at Battery Park. Probably just a coincidence. Sandy is the largest landfalling Atlantic tropical uh, cyclone ever. The tropical storm force winds extended out 600 miles. The storm cut power to over 8 million customers, the highest ever recorded in Con Edison's history. New York Harbor surf reached a record level of 32.5 feet. And listen to what the New York Times called Sandy. It called it a storm of biblical proportions. How interesting is that? Why, the insurance companies followed up with this word. They referred to it as an act of God. Now, what are they doing getting in our world? People say, well, what do you think it's like to, would have been like to live in biblical days? We are living in biblical days. The Bible is as relevant today as it ever was. People just aren't understanding what God is up to in our world. You see, much of what happens in our world revolves around a tiny little country called Israel. It's dismissed many times and set aside many times and not fully understood many times. But remember the promise that was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3 when he said, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And that's the Abrahamic covenant. It was in place from Abram. It is still in place today. Now let me tell you something interesting. You may not know this, but the 21st anniversary of what was, te- was termed the perfect storm in 1991 just happened to coincide to the day to what devastated the East Coast that 20 years ago, that 21 years ago. At that time in 1991, George H. Bush, president, 
hosted what was called the Madrid Conference. It took place from October 30th to November 1st. That storm hit, it even hit his particular house as Bush was calling on Israel to give up the West Bank. Probably just a coincidence. But when George W. Bush pressured Israel to give up the Gaza on September 1, 2005 and called for a two-state solution with Palestine and Israel, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans and coincided with the same term from the media, a biblical proportions. Probably just a coincidence. Then on August 20, 2012, when the Republican Party, Platform Party, was meeting to vote on a two-state position that is that Israel has to be divided, Hurricane Isaac formed, and when it hit land, it caused, caused billions of dollars of damage. Probably just a coincidence. But then on 10-25-12, when Sandy was, was forming itself, a UN expert called for the boycott of Israel, called them a violator of human rights, and a lawless occupier. Let me just tell you what Joel the prophet said in chapter 3 and verse 2. I will also gather all nations, and I will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them on account of my people, he's talking about Israel, my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have also divided up my land. Interesting, God calls Israel his land. You see, Israel's land goes from the Mediterranean to the Tigris-Euphrates River. It goes to the north in Hamath and to the south down to the bottom of the Dead Sea. That is God's land. That is the land that God gave to Abraham. And every division, every separation from that is taken away from what God promised to Abram. And it brings this judgment that Joel speaks of. I want you to know there is a prophetic megastorm brewing over the horizon. Reserved long ago for the latter days. And now we see it coming to pass in some ways in our day. The Bible speaks of a time of Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 5 through 7. For thus says the Lord, we have heard the voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is the time of Jacob's trouble. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 3 says this, There shall be a time of trouble such as never was, and those that are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. I want us to be wise, influenced church. I want us to shine bright like the stars in the firmament. He goes on to say, And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. It is our God-given destiny to speak the name of Jesus Christ wherever we go, to shine like the stars of the firmament, to be faithful with what we have been given in Jesus Christ. Why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 21, For then there will be a great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. And that great tribulation culminates in an event called the Battle of Armageddon. Why in these last days, God is seeking to advance his kingdom in new and radical ways. I want you to know we haven't done a lot of press on it yet, but two weeks ago we started an influence school of ministry. Already we have about 10 who are enrolled unofficially 
in the Influence School of Ministry. And our goal is to train up men and women who will take the kingdom of God by storm. And you'll hear more about it. It'll get, it'll get broadened in its, in its appeal. And uh, it'll be set up on a two-year program that many of you will want to be a part of. And we believe we're going to train up leaders. We're going to plant these, these outlets, these outposts of the kingdom of God all around the world with men and women who love Jesus with all of their heart. You can clap for that. That won't hurt you a bit. He's looking for bold men and women who love Jesus and will not compromise, who will not bend their knee to the prince of this world, men and women whom the world, Hebrews says, is not worthy. These are those who will silence the powers of hell and stand strong against the face of the enemy. David Platt put it like this, radical obedience to Christ is not easy. It's not comfort, not wealth, not health, and not prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all of these things. But in the end, such risk finds its reward in Christ, and He is more than enough for us. Amen and amen. You know, we've been on a journey now for eight months. It seems hard to believe all that God has been able to do. And uh, we've been talking to you about a future building and a future place. We even told you we needed a few million dollars, and some of you laughed, but some of you took it serious. And it's been amazing to me. I had just an email the other day from someone giving us a piece of property worth $100,000 and said, you can either sell it or make a retreat center out of it. So Tammy and I are going to go on a retreat. <laughs> Men and women who haven't, who really aren't rich people. We're not a church of rich. If we are, you're not talking to me. I tell you that. You're not telling, you're not revealing yourself. Walking up and handing checks for $10,000 and $15,000. I just got news today that if we, if we have a million dollars, we can go into that building. We can put a deal together. We either need a loan, we need a partnership, we need a gift. If you have the means to do that, I want you to see us. You know, we're not worried about it. I don't, I don't stay up at night at all worrying about where we're going. I mean, we got popcorn, nachos, and good seats. <laughs> What? Seriously. How does it get better than that, amen? I think it's important that we're right where God wants us all along the journey. I'm sure Israel got frustrated in the wilderness for 40 years. God says, not yet. Not yet. I don't know the timetable of God, but I'm just going to, every time God moves, I'm going to try to move. Every time God speaks, we're going to try to listen, amen? I want you to see the distress of the nations. Luke chapter 21, 25 said, the distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Jesus told us there would be a day of distress of the nations. It would ring out across the globe. To this distress would be added perplexity, which refers to being at a loss of what to do. Or to put it another way, to be at one's wit's end. The moral and spiritual bankruptcy of nations and people will finally reach a climax. The scope and complexity of, of the overload of information will stretch man's mind to the limit. Perplexity. Job is not often thought of as a prophet, and yet he is a prophet. In Job chapter 12, listen to what he said. He makes God, God he makes nations great, and he destroys them. He enlarges nations, and he guides them. He takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth and he makes them wander in pathless wilderness. 
They grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. Job chapter 12, verses 22 through 25. A nations in distress. You know why? Because they suppress the truth, Romans 1, in unrighteousness. They know the truth, but they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. No wonder people are concerned about the Mayan calendar and the world ending in December. Why wouldn't they be? They've suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. Coming up uh, somewhere around the 20th, I'll be on the History Channel with the show Decoded 2012 as a biblical expert. Someone wanted to know, couldn't we have a big party and get together and watch it together? And I said, no, I might look like an idiot. I'd rather not. If it turns out good, we can have a review party. But if it turns out, if it turns out bad, I'll be missing a couple of Sundays. Let you forget about it. But the Mayan calendar, why did you know that 20% of the Chinese believe the world will end according to the Mayan calendar in 2012? Now think about it, it's a billion plus people, 20% of them think the world's going to end. In America, Turkey, Russia, and Mexico, all of them respectively believe around 12 to 13% that the world's going to end according to the Mayan calendar. I went online to look for survival kits, Mayan calendar, and I found out you can get tequila and all chocolate and all kinds of great stuff. Just let's just have fun and party. You know that one out of seven people in America believe that the world will end in their lifetime? 22% of Americans believe that they will see Armageddon in their lifetime. It is on the very front porch of where we live. Have you watched what's happening in Syria? Even this morning, a development. Syria has moved some tanks into the DMZ zone there. Uh, Syria has filed a few mortar shells in, and this morning, Israel responded back to Syria. This could be the outbreak of war. Well, where is Syria in biblical prophecy? Why Damascus is mentioned very clearly in Isaiah chapter 17 and verse 1. It says this, Behold, Damascus will cease to be a city and will be a ruinous Russia has been the main supporter of the Syrian president, Assad's government, even shielding, shielding them from UN sanctions because they have a strategic reason to be in Syria. It is home to some of the largest and the most violent of the terrorist groups in the world. Already 36,000 people have been reportedly killed in Syria. The UN said Syrian refugees have, have fled to Turkey, Lebanon, Jordan, and would likely reach 700,000 people. The Yuan went on to say that humanitarian aid in the days ahead will more likely reach more than 4 million people by early next year. In America, Americans have lost 40% of their wealth from the years 2007-2010. In Europe, is on the brink of collapse with an unemployment in Spain at 40%. Whatever you read about the economy getting better, I mean, that response is enough. <laughs> the U.S. has not mentioned in time prophecy. Maybe it will cease to be a world power. Maybe, therefore, it will play no significant role in end-time events. Maybe an economic catastrophe, an out-of-control debt situation. You see, our God is the dollar, and the Lord is going to destroy that God when the weight of our debt collapses the economy. Four years ago, our national debt was $10 trillion. Now it's $16 trillion. Doesn't sound like we're making progress to me. David R. Reagan said, like ancient Judah, 
our fate is sealed. Our collapse will be just as sudden and overwhelming. Why should God treat us any different? We can be assured He will not. Righteousness exalts a nation, the Bible says, but sin is a reproach to any people. I believe God has preserved us this far because of the righteousness of the people of America, because of God's plan and destiny for our future, and because we have loved Israel. And I believe each one of us individually and as a church should do those three things. We should be practicing that love and that blessing to the nation of Israel. Jesus also spoke in this passage about the condition of the heart. You see, ultimately what it comes down to is not what's happening in the world, it's what's happening in your heart. What is the condition of your heart? Your heart. Look what it says in verses 26 and 28. Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. You see, the conditions of the heart can be seen in this way. One is a, a failing heart. It says men's hearts will fail them. What does that mean? It means to be without hope. You see, if you don't have hope, what do you live for? If you don't see the future, what do you live for? Men's hearts begin to fail them. They say, what's the hope? You know that Jesus is called the blessed hope? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know what hope is in the Bible? It's not like I hope I win the lotto. By the way, if you do, remember you have to tithe. <laughs> Amen? I remember I asked uh, uh, an old deacon in a church I had one time. He came up to me and said, uh, Preacher, do you think it's all right to play the lotto? And I said, I don't know. What, what do you think? He says, well, I think the devil's had that money long enough. <laughs> and he said, I do plan on tithing. And I said, I believe it's okay. <laughs> he never won, though. I don't know what happened. Without hope. You know what hope in the Bible is? Confident assurance in what God has promised God will provide. That's hope. That's, that's something you can put your, your, your hands around and put, sink your teeth into, amen? See, we might in this world go up and down and around and around, be thrown in every direction, but you know what? The Bible says we are sealed unto the day of redemption, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it. Ephesians 4 and verse 30. We are sealed unto the day of redemption. Think about that. Until we receive our inheritance, a failing heart. What about a fearful heart? It says, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. You know what I believe is happening in our day? And we all know, you can hear everybody say, something shifted in the last 10 to 12 years. Maybe it was associated with 9-11, but something shifted in our world. I believe it was another mark, another rung in the ladder of the last days. And I believe we're living in a time where demonic spirits are given greater dominion as lawlessness increases. When I gave that interview to the History Channel, he got done with a two-hour interview asking me every question known to man. I mean, he asked me stuff I didn't even know. And I came up with an answer. I think the Holy Spirit came through. You know what I mean? That's what the Bible says. That sometimes when you ask a question, you don't know the exact answer, but the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind. And he began to ask me, you know, talk about the various signs and the bold judgments and all these things. And, you know, and there's so much in the book of Revelation. It was just like I was right on mark every time. I knew exactly the answer. And I knew that I hadn't studied for it. I knew God had just given me the answer. That's why Psalm 119 says, you have made me wiser than all of my professors because your word has guided me. 
See, when you have the Holy Spirit of God and you're rooted and grounded in the Word of God, you don't have to worry. Amen. You don't have to worry because you got God. One, God. one guy with God is a majority. Amen? Yeah. I mean, when did God ever work by majority anyway? Majority always got upset. 5,000 show up for the big feed, the big barbecue Jesus put on. They all ate. And Jesus looked around and said, where are they? They all left. Where'd they go? Well, they were full and they took off. What about you? Well, where would we go? You have the words of life. Stay with the words of life. Follow Jesus with all your heart. Love Jesus with all your heart. A fearful heart. Don't worry about a fearful heart. Move on to a faith-filled heart. Return to Christ. You see, it envisions there in, that, in, the, in, the, in the book of uh, Luke and then in the book of Revelation that those who, who are there after that tribulation who see Christ coming, it says they will fall back in fear. You know why? Because they don't know Him. It says even those who pierced Him, Revelation 1-7. They will even cry out to the, for the rocks to fall on them and hide them from the coming of the Son of Man. But I want you to know every day we can look up because our redemption draws near. I've told this story, I want to tell it again. I was with my little grandson, Cruz. He'll be three in December. His middle name is the same as mine. just wanted to tell you that. <laughs> Not really relevant for the story, but I just wanted to tell you that. Because I think it's why he's so smart. Because you know intelligence skips a generation, you know that. I getting out of the car at the bank, and Cruz looked up, and I had told him this earlier. I told him the sun and the moon, when they're in the sky at the same time, is a picture of the return of Christ. See, the sun is a picture of the sun of righteousness, Malachi chapter 4. And the moon, according to Son of Solomon, is a picture of the church, the bride. And sometimes you see that phenomenon when the sun and the moon is in the sky, and that, that moon is, is just pure white. And Cruz got out of the car, and he looked up, and he says, look, Papa, Jesus' return. Because there is the bride of Christ clothed in white linen. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 and following. You see, God has put signs in the sun and the moon and the stars also. He reminds us of His quick return. Look up. Lift up your heads. Look up and lift up your heads, church. Look up and lift up your heads, church. Because your redemption draws near. There's a sense in which you were saved the day you believed in Christ. There's a sense in which you are being saved right now. There is a process where God is redeeming you. And there is a sense in which you will one day be fully, completely glorified and redeemed and saved. Look up. Your redemption draws near. Jesus said this, we don't know the day or the hour in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, but of that day and of that hour, no one knows. A mark of a false prophet is someone who tries to tell you the date. People ask me all the times when Harold camping, he would say, well, do you think he's right? I said, no, he's an idiot. <laughs> Jesus already said he was an idiot. He said, if the Son of Man doesn't know, he has, and he's not, he's not given on earth, he wasn't given the answer. And he says, no man can know. Listen to what it says, Matthew 24, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. See, if you know the Word of God, you can ward off all kinds of false doctrine. If you don't know the Word of God, you're going to be taking it all in and believing everything that's happening out there. 
people who know their God, they will live in stability of times, the Bible says. But listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 32. He said, the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. See, Jonah was a reluctant prophet who went into Nineveh, didn't want to speak of God's redemptive power, and yet forced to, after a set of circumstances, finally proclaimed all of Nineveh was saved at the preaching of Jonah. The Bible says a greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is here. Let me ask you this question. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't mean have you adopted a Christian ethic or moral pattern in your life. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and it has resulted in a transformation of your life? You see, the real question is not are you a Christian. The real question is when did your life change with that God encounter that you had with Jesus Christ? Do you have the assurance, do you have the assurance that you know Him? Jesus said it like this in the book of 1 John, these things I write unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, eternal life is not something you hope you have, you think you have, you have it or you don't have it. Like one guy said, there's saints and there's ain'ts. (laughs) Are you a saint? Are you an ain't? If there's anything in your heart right now that's just saying to you, I'm not sure, Pastor. I want to know. Well, God brought you here by divine appointment. You're not here by accident. You're not here just to hear about the fate of America. You're also here about the fate of your own eternal soul. Will you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so as to be saved? Will you confess him before men that he may confess you uh, before his Father in heaven? I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment Uh, to pray and receive and I want you to think I want the Spirit of God to begin to work on you but let me give you a few life applications here's the first one heed heed the signs of Christ's return know the signs and heed the signs secondly love Jesus with all your heart just love Jesus and let people know about it people say well I, I, I like to just let people see Jesus in my life no one was ever saved by seeing Jesus in your life People are only saved, the Bible says, by the preaching of the Word of God. You proclaiming Jesus Christ dead, buried, risen from the dead. That's the only way anybody gets saved. All they're going to see from you living out your life, if you never open your mouth, is that you're a good person. And I want you to know there's a lot of good people in the world that don't know Jesus. And then decide today where you will spend eternity. With God, apart from God, there's nothing in between. Nothing in between. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. And as I lead you in this prayer, I'm going to ask you to examine your own heart and ask yourself that hard question. Do I truly know Jesus? Have I been born again? Am I going to heaven when I die or at the return of Christ? If not, I want you to pray this prayer. You can pray it right where you sit, right where you stand. You can pray it in your heart. You can pray it out loud. But pray this prayer if there's any doubt in your heart about your eternal salvation. Prayer goes like this one. Make it your prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died. You were buried and you rose from the dead. 
I believe my sins put you on the cross. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from unrighteousness. And save me, Lord Jesus. The Word promises that if we confess with our mouth, believe in our heart, that God has raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. Save me right now, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart. Give me the gift of eternal life. I ask in the name of Jesus. Now while we just have our heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment and in prayer, was that your prayer today? Did you pray and ask Jesus into your heart? And if you did, I'm going to ask you to do two things. One, I'm going to ask you just to slip your hand up in just a moment. And the second thing I'm going to ask you to do is get in contact with us. Let us know what God did. Because you see, the enemy can come and snatch something from your heart if you're not grounded, if you don't have clarity about what God's doing. If you prayed and asked Jesus into your heart today, would you just slip your hand up and just hold it up for a second? Just slip your hand up. God bless you. Amen. Anyone else? Just all over this auditorium. God bless you. Just hold it up for a second. With your hands lifted up high, Lord Jesus, I just want to pray for these who've lifted their hands in faith. I want to ask you, God, to really seal this decision by your power and by your spirit. I ask you, God, to take each person here and make them kingdom warriors in these last days. I pray, God, that your name will be lifted up in their life. I pray, Father, that they will come and, and let us know about their decisions so that they can grow in faith in Christ and they can be all that God really does intend for them to be for the kingdom of God. We love you, God, and we give you praise. We pray for this people. We pray for our nation. We pray, God, for your world, that the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, would fall in great power and great authority. For it's in the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.